The cephalopod moved one of its limbs in perfect catharsis over the city while the roots in the forest retracted, spearing like the rhythms of rolling waves through each other's splinter. Pulses shivering from their slate of the room underground arise and float like dust, dissipating in the cool air of whispered eyes, blistering themselves out faces drawn in the scent of honeysuckle, trees bending together under the heavy caress of a pulse, detaching a wayline upon the skin. The yellow ancient in the room underground, sensitive to the shape of the tree's harried call above. It was clear that the longer one was in the square, the more words from the wool cyclops would collect upon the jackets and sweaters of the citizens. Some, eventually, resembling pets or other livestock, covered so in that way, the aberrant sound of the wool as the words grated against each other as the citizens moved would instigate a group of workers with hoses to bring themselves upon the citizens, crying for mercy. Mercy from what to ask? It was clear that those who had not been in the square in any sort of fashion so as to accumulate wool that way wanted nothing to do with that sound. Instinctual, as it were, to gapingly spray those to assist in the tuning of voices, success would only gather in accepting that what was inseparable could in fact be the very thing attracting the wool in the first place. It was clear that the Cyclops would need to adjust its shedding. Appearing a deer and her two fawns led upon a path from the lake to the last spot where the Dreamweaver had been seen, one named Boise and the other Antioch. It is strange the things names do, and why should they not? In the forest, a few more desolate-looking trees split themselves, an entire other tree underneath, protecting the eye in between, shedding new light in leaves and letting the waylines untangle below. Just long enough for the eye to take hold of the post, like a man seeing his wife again for the first time in what felt like ages. Underground, the way lines dripping like sweat as the light rolls ink light through the roots toward the room where now yellow is presiding over the books. What was believed to be told and everything else left out entirely and what could it be cannot be believed and more. And more. Sure that nothing could hold me like that, Blue Cry, and beholden the fever pitch betwixt the olden label of something sacred eclipsing like the fresh dew of the grass with summer's first blending. Guy turns to Blue and says, You saw it coming, didn't you? The mouth 
swallowing you whole before you even put a toe in the water to get used to it. Blue returns. Why? Does it look that way to you? I see what you see, but I can't understand why you put it there. Guy, frustrated, wonders why Blue brought any of this up in the first place. The wool cyclops pulling up at half its body, which has half fallen from the waist as if undone and collecting their dignity up in folding part of themselves over upon their fingers and holding wool to wool until slowly the words spin themselves back together, flush as they lower their arms, healed as if nothing had ever happened in the first place. Not a look on their face and not an anxious or swift movement of their head to indicate any sort of distress in the meantime, though feeling somewhat lighter for the words lost as the spins could not satisfy the gravity of the words placed next to each other's, not in line with their grammar or any sort of semblance of harmony. Still, a loud dark noise emanating from its abdomen. Or perhaps the horn inside one ear misplaced upon their mouth with the call of the embodied owl screeching above the loudspeaker at precisely the moment when the mountain shifts in front of the sun, bringing the golden hour upon the city streets. Particularly, that old abandoned house, the homeless woman began to feel her homelessness wane by the soft billowing of the cephalopod. Its offer of momentary catharsis to send her troubles to bed before the stink of her wake. A peacock flies gallantly across the river, soaring into the sky and splitting in two as an arrow of the perfect hunter, narrowly missing both their hearts as they split, their tails spreading out across the face of the man with the cubist face. Deep pools like eyes, their feathers in slow motion bring the sounds of earth to the city air. Fragrant in whispers, the arrow of the perfect hunter misses something once. Just this. Once. Blue turns to Guy sensitive to his discernment and says what stone was lost to the tides of May as the lake bubbled with a shimmery foam a single flea emerged from the raccoon and gestated with the heat of summer bloom the long shoal of a rabbit's foot reckoning with the last of a peach moon like a pit reaching the swollen shore unbridled it kicked, 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 as a crab crawled across the log near the bank. A shimmering light cast down between the branches, sending shivers down the bark towards the roots as a pulse escapes the wayline twixt a range of twigs. Melting with the bubbling surface, sending a ripple to smooth the surface as the water depletes its roiling below. 
A group of robins fly through the trees in the forest as the green ancient walks calmly toward their plotting unit, weaving through each other's flight as they land aptly upon branches and root marking pulses as they course through the trees. Odd, the green ancient notices, as each ascent and descent flutters their crested chests, as if a melodic voice had somehow crept its way in pulse across the forest. It reminds the green ancient of where a fault line appears as if from nowhere the circle road meets the other streets that they had seen upon the skin as a querulous noise vibrated the skin. There is something in the mood the robins bring through the space as green walks ever more calmly by their harmony with their soma that reminds them of the shape the noise made on the skin. If only because the solemnity perfectly contrasted the loud timber in a way that distracted them just long enough to miss the purple mark and that had made its way to land straightly in the path ahead of them, interrupting the green ancient to laugh. The loudspeaker going through its daily lists of lost souls, the name Boise rings out as it calls across the city. The little girl with black hair sits on the edge of the river by the bridge, fishing. As she catches wind of the word, she chuckles a bit to herself. They always call out for Boise when Antioch is missing. Her thoughts rushing by her as a coy fish plucks the bait from her hook and silently slips away. It's true, the green ancient muses to themselves. I cannot avoid anything they invent to keep me away from them. I suppose it's only fair, though, as they have no defense in terms of the memories I hold and what I would do for them. It mustn't be easy with this version of me around. With not a drop of light to ink, the Green Ancient makes it to their plotty unit, taking their place carefully, hoping not to put much pressure on the armrest until they have caught up with where the other ancients are connected in their own quadrant. Probably with a bit too much caution, they begin with what the Robins had in mind. With a bowing beech tree in the forest, a water bottle with a silhouette of pine bough all along a vespered blinking cotton flower. A pulse follows, like the level ocean shore where the absence of parsimony stands, as if waiting for itself to reach the skin. A drop of light makes its way into a flask at the exact moment the yellow ancient steps over the squishy thing in the middle of the room underground, having known that drop would sound the leaf of its footsteps as it made its way across the room, the ancient gave a little chuckle as it puts a rubber band around her left wrist as their left hand passes millimeters away from an inchworm on a silken thread. 
guiding the attachments toward the blends of the images as they form from the ethereal compromise of the skin's cellular makeup toward a sense of outline and form, with tedious but ensconcing attention toward the energy of the way lines gives passage of each pulp. Guy places his hand on Blue's mid-thigh as they sit beside the ocean. A hush comes over the both of them as they watch a light upon their darkest shadows, the calm of the ocean, enter their soma, releasing a muscle the size of a hairpin holding their sharpest memory. The fullness of their somas within their body in that moment opens up a scene of forest wander before them as if the horizon itself were bringing itself so close as to show them their furthest whispers to each other as close as their heartbeats. Pulses and the way lines upon the shore careening around them both as if not to interfere with even a moment of their time upon the shore together. The pulses cross the level of the sand and light upon the water, an impossible wending as if seaweed crossing the ocean trenches, leaving an anglerfish in want for the beauty of their dancing cadence across the water, waves billowing in small ripples behind them as if the ocean were bending back upon itself for something the depths forgot upon the surface long ago. Suddenly, the homeless woman turns to the man with the cubist face near the old door and says, I should get all the way over here. An enormous maul exits the corner of a mouth in one of the panes of his face. Well, I saw that cricket on your shoulder. Cricket? Yes, it came with you when you opened the door to the orange grove. My eyes closed on the few pains my face was drawing, and suddenly I was here, with you, turning toward me, as if it were only a moment ago. And he said, How do you find my indigo eyelash? Lines Without Time is written and produced by Kate Madera, with artwork by Rachel Amber Longo, and music by Human Nature. Have a pirate Tara time.